Hey, podcast listeners, it's Michael Shelley. Well, big news today. We're starting to rerun some of the older things, some of the older interviews I've done as podcasts. They've, uh, of course, always been available over at WFMU.org slash Michael, but having them delivered to your device is, I think, a, a good idea to start hearing some of these older ones. And today we start off with Duck Dunn. It, it's a real good one. And, of course, he's passed away since we did this interview. Just interesting guy, great guy, the Stax music story, so f- full of interesting stuff and it so reflects the sort of the cultural change of America during the time Stacks existed. Uh, maybe I'm reading into it too much. Any, in any case, I guarantee you, uh, interesting interview, great guy, great music. And of course, the whole show is Stacks Music and you can listen to the archive with the music over at WFMU.org slash Michael. Now, somebody recently gave me, this is where the commercial sort of comes in, somebody gave me an iPad recently, their old iPad, and so for the first time I'm I've got this thing in my kitchen, and I'm listening to it usually when I'm preparing dinner for my family, and I'm listening to podcasts. And Gilbert Gottfried is one I listen to. Mark Maron's I listen to. I listen to Freakonomics. Sometimes This American Life. There's a bunch of them. In fact, uh, some listeners uh, made some great suggestions. And one of the things I notice, all the podcasts usually start out with what is basically a commercial. This podcast is brought to you. There's a few that I've heard just uh, hundreds of times. It seems like there's a few people, uh, Stamps.com, Squarespace, some other other website thing uh, where they just, you know, you hear these all over and over and over again. Keep in mind the WFMU podcasts, no commercials. We raise our money one way, and that's from the listeners. We do it once a year for two weeks, and we are in the middle of our fundraiser this year. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I've created a CD of 18 songs. I had 18 great artists make original recordings of 1970s hits, uh, and it's a third in a series called Even More Super Hits of the 70s, and it's yours uh, with a pledge of $75 or more. You get that, a t-shirt, some stickers, a membership card, uh, discounted record fair admission. Uh, it's easy to do. Head over to WFMU.org slash Michael. And there's a place for comments. Uh, and I please comment. I am a podcast listener, a podcast supporter. I'd love to announce that this Saturday on my live show when uh, I'll be reading your, your comments. And, of course, you'll be in the running for some great prizes I'll be giving away, too. Uh, if you want to see the video for super, even more Super to the 70s, head over to WFMU.org slash Super Hits. The video is really wor- worth watching. It's, it's entertaining. Okay. Uh, my first in, a, in my rerun series, here is my uh, interview with the great, late Donald Duck Dunn, and uh, I hope this will start a nice series of uh, reviving some of my my most favorite interviews, and I hope to hear from some of you uh, during our pledge drive. Thanks so much. Yeah, there's Hip Hugger. It's just sounding fantastic, certainly to my ears, right here on the mighty WFMU, and joining us on the telephone, Duck Dunn, welcome to the program. Good morning. Good morning, Michael. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah? What do you, you you live down in Florida, is that right? Yeah, right right below Tampa, between Tampa and Sarasota, a little, little town called Palmetto. Doesn't it get a little hot down there? It's, it gets it so you get, About two weeks ago, you couldn't, you couldn't even go out the door. <laughs> it must be heck on instruments. must turn them sideways a little bit. Uh, uh, well, fortunately, I, I keep mine in, in, in the house, and I got an amplifier in the garage I get worried about every now and then. <laughs> Uh, born in 1941, Memphis, Tennessee, uh, right in the center of, of Memphis, right sort of uh, right at the best time to be born because uh, when you were a teenager, things were kind of going crazy there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you had Elvis, Jerry Lee, you know, all that going on. And then, and then, and then uh, 
uh, Bobby Bland was recording there. Uh, yeah, sort of home of the blues, Elvis, yeah, Stax, sure. High Records, sure. uh, the ardent scene. A lot of things were going on. Tell me, as a kid, what kind of music were you guys listening to in the you know the mid fifties, early fifties? Well, uh, when, I, when I was really young, uh, I, I really got I got burnt up pretty bad. But I, I turned the gas on the stove when I was two years old and struck a match, and I got burnt pretty bad. And, oh. And, uh, and so I was laid up for all the old time I entered about the first grade. But uh, my brother, we used to listen to the Grand Ole Opry. He'd 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 rock me and hold me. And but then uh, when then, then when I boy when when I heard Little Richard and, and Bill Doggett and and uh, uh, oh Bo Diddley of course, uh, it, it just it just changed my life. Yeah, uh, was that stuff on normal radio, or what, did you have to search it out? No, you had you had this jockey there called Dewey Phillips. Right, and uh, uh, Dewey Dewey was just incredible. He he played everything from uh, Joe Turner to to Elvis to Jerry Lee. He he just played everything. Hmm. You know the the rockabilly and the, and the R and B. And did you think? I mean, was there? What do you think? The earliest time you thought to yourself, maybe this is something I want to try to to get a piece of. Well, I was a pretty good student until I hit about the tenth grade, and I heard I heard that music, and uh, uh, I think uh, I think they finally just let me out of high school. <laughs> Is that true? Did you never graduate high school? Uh, I, I, I graduated, but it took sixteen credits, and I think uh, I think I think they gave me a quarter of a credit just to get me get my, get my butt out of there. <laughs> Keep it moving. Yeah, you grew up right down the street from Steve Cropper, right? Right. And all those guys, Pacquiao, Dana Wayne, Jackson, all those guys were around. I mean. Guys, you would work with on and off. Really, you're still working with a lot of these guys, uh, and you've known them since you were a little kid, really. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, Wayne Jackson and I were born in the same hospital on the same day. Yeah, amazing. That is truly amazing. Maybe that is one of the the secrets to why the stack sound is the way it is. Well, this, I think the secret was was Al Jackson Jr. To mm-hmm. you, true. Uh, I think Al Jackson Jr. was to uh, Stax as uh, James Jameson was to Motown. You know that it's something that people talk about. Uh, the drummer, of course, of Booker T and the MGs and the Stax house band. People do talk about him as he was just, uh, you know, couldn't make a bad sound. You know, he, 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 he's. It's just he's just impeccable. He's just he, you know, uh, I had I had a little bad of a rush. I, I rushed a lot, and uh, he 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 taught me how to you know he taught me he said hey Dunn, uh this is music there. He'd say wait on two when I play two you 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 play a line and and that's the best that's the best advice I ever got in my life. Hmm, interesting. Uh, so you started to play in a band. I understand you started to play guitar, but there were just too many good guitar players around. Is that right? <laughs> Too many strings. <laughs> yeah. Bass it was six, it had six. I, I, I did better with four. And so, and what was your first? I mean, did you sit in your bedroom and and, and play along to the radio, or did you start? Yeah, in- yeah I did that, uh, and uh, uh, looked in the mirror a lot, and uh, <laughs> you know, just. Uh, 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 but but you, you you about got it right. Sit in the bedroom and play to the radio and. Uh, and then my wife and I, well, we've been together since tenth grade, and uh, she was crazy about music as I was. And she, 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 uh, when she got out of high school, she she worked for she worked for an attorney, and uh, I was working for my dad. And uh, we'd we kind of, I think together, I think we'd probably making sixty bucks a week. But we'd we'd go out and we'd every week we'd pick pay we'd make buy Hank Ballard the Midnighters record or a, a album or a Bo Diddley or. 
or Little Richard or uh, just uh, uh, just just anything that was uh, that I really liked and. Uh, I, I I just played I, I just played them over and over. I wore them out. Hmm. And so you're you're working, and then did you think, well, I'll start this little uh, band in the in the nighttime, or what was? How did you ease into that? Well, uh, uh, it, it started with uh, Steve was working at a grocery store uh, from uh, about three blocks from where we live, and uh, we had this little band together, and uh, there was this club out in Millington, Tennessee, which was uh, uh, it's actually a naval station. And so on the weekends, uh, uh, a lot of those sailors would go there and drink beer. And we we wasn't really good in those days, but we were just good enough to go in and, and make ten bucks and all the beer you could drink, I think, and then uh, uh, play. So uh, it is it's Steve, myself, and uh, Charlie Freeman and Terry Johnson. We we kind of started it, and then uh, uh, that, as time progressed, we put Packy in, and then Wayne. That have sort of evolved into the Royal Spades, who evolved into the Marquis, right? Yeah, right, exactly. So around, you know, about this time, Jim Stewart, Estelle Axton start this little record company, first called Satellite, then Stax, and it's, it seems like in the beginning they weren't quite sure what they were going to do, and then they had a couple R&B hits, and it became definitively an R&B label, and it seems like you guys were just a little bit young, but you were sort of knocking on the door from the very beginning, trying to get in there, uh, and of course, Packy Axon being Estelle's son, uh, mm-hmm. helped you get get your foot in the door there, and you end up uh, Marquise ends up recording last night, which becomes a big hit, 1961. And I believe that you do not play on that record. Is that right? I well, I played on it. Uh, I, I had played on it, and uh, they they went back and they said, well, Jerry Wexler came in, and Jerry, Jerry said, why don't you put? We we didn't have horns on it. So they said, well, put, put, put horns on it. And so at the time, uh, my dad was going through some financial stuff, and then uh, he had a he had this uh, little uh, 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 helicopter ride, which he, he'd take out on the weekends and, 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 and get kids to ride it. He was doing real well with it, but uh, he needed help. And uh, at that time, I was, I was out doing with my dad, and uh, uh, I missed it. So I think Louis ended up playing on it. Huh. Louis Sternberg, who was the first uh, MG's bass player. Yeah, it's funny because there's about ten different accounts of how last night was played and created, and every one of them is different. We'll never know. Well, I, I, the real story. I've also I've, I've also heard that uh, that there was one segment they they used that uh, I, I was actually on on, hmm. on the first uh, half of it, but it got the second half got erased, and they re, they re, I don't I, I don't know I, I can't go for that. You hear so many stories, I tell you what. I've heard so many. I don't know what to believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I read that story too. That they accidentally erased the first few seconds of uh, and had to go in the garbage and yeah, edit it exactly. from. And, yeah, yeah uh, exactly. Kind of funny. Uh, now that song, I believe, produced by Chip Smoman. People sort of forget that Chip Smoman was a part of Stax Records. Exactly. Uh, I guess he just didn't get along with everybody or with Jim. Or wanted a piece of the the business, whatever. Uh, what was what was uh, early Chip's moment like? Because he went on to produce the a lot of giant hits for folks like Elvis and and people in those days. What was Chip Chips like? Uh, Chips is great. He's just a great producer. Hmm. But uh, uh, he just uh, Chips 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 Chip rather go to a two dollar car and even produce a million selling record. Ah. <laughs> but he was he, he he was a great producer. But uh, I don't know. There there, there was there there was thoughts of uh, uh, he, he was he was 
taken most of the most of the, uh, the writers and and uh, and and just turning and and giving away the artists, which 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 in the long run there are the writers. So I, that, that was some discrepancy there, but. Uh, I, fortunately, I wasn't on that end of, in the end of it at, at, that, at that time. I, I didn't get in the business end of it with Stacks until we started doing uh, the producer's pool, yeah. uh, the, produced by uh, 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 staff, and uh, that, that was later on. And uh, but and I, I still, Al and I still played clubs for about. Oh, I can't remember how long. Well, the the Marquis last night was a big hit, so the Marquis took to to touring, I suppose. And it was right. who knows right. if it was the same guys on the records or not. But at least some folks called the Marquis went out on the road, and apparently that was a crazy, crazy tour. And apparently, Packy Axton, from every account I've read, was just a wild man. Well, he just he just drank a lot. <laughs> that was his biggest that was his biggest problem. He hmm. just he he just drank a lot, and. Uh, 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 I think he, I, I think I think he had uh, a few a few problems. By uh, he was he he didn't play he didn't play the lead solo on the record or something, and he just it just kind of ate at him a little bit. And uh, uh, he, we just got him on the but he just loved to drink. Hmm. And eventually, it got him. Got him early. Yeah, uh, you you sort of get back to town and you become a big part of the stacks. Uh, scene you're playing on sessions like uh, Don't Miss Your Water from William Bell. Mm-hmm. And uh, right around that time, 1962, uh, Booker T and the MGs just happens. I think it was just a jam. One night of a session, they come up with Green Onions. It's a hit. And so now it becomes a band. And uh, Louis Sternberg was the bass player that day. So so he becomes sort of the bass player of actually, that band. Actually, it's Steinberg. Steinberg, I'm sorry. Uh, and so for the next two years, he's he's in Booker T and the MGs. But you're still there, and you're still playing on sessions uh, with folks coming through, right? Right. Uh uh, I would uh, well when, when Louis was a great uh, walking bass player, like a uh, you know just uh, a shuffle bass player. And uh, but it, it, for some strange reason, I, I, I started playing kind of more syncopated bass, and that that, that kind of came in, and it, it just kind of it's kind of it, it kind of took over a little bit, and that, that's when they told me, asked me to come in, and. Um, uh, uh, that, that, that's how I, got, I actually got started there. Of course, I, of course, I knew Steve and all that. And Steve, Steve had quit the road with the Marquis, and he was working there after they, after they uh, uh, ended their relationship with Chips. And uh, uh, Steve, Steve became, Steve took over Chips' job. Right. The best thing that happened to to, to Steve was Chips leaving. Yeah, he yeah, might still yeah, be working right. in the Satellite Record Shop. If it, yeah. and Let's talk about the Satellite Record Shop. I find that very interesting. Uh, at first, it was just the candy stand of this old theater where they had built the studio. And then I used it, to go there. I, I was a kid there. I grew up there. Buying records from Estelle Axton. Right. And, well, I mean, yeah, what was it like there? First of all, was it, was it, uh, was Memphis very segregated? Could, you know, all kinds of people go into the same record shop? Well, it, it, it was it, it, it was in a, a black area of town, and it was it, it was uh, if it, it was I guess you'd say ninety five percent black music because most of the, there was a radio station there that Rufus Thomas belonged to. Uh, he was a <clears throat> disc jockey with uh, WDIA, and then he had WLOK, which Al Bell was affiliated with, mm. and that's where Al Bell came from. And uh, so, but. Uh, 
that that was the music that was sold most in there. She 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 didn't she didn't sell too many Elvis records. I'll put it that way. <laughs> okay, and so you would go in there and get and get records. And I heard that you would occasionally pull out sort of an acetate and sort of play it for customers to sort of get a before they would release something to see if folks liked it. Oh yeah, we we we, we did that with WLOK, um, uh, a radio station down there because uh, uh, I think I, if I if I could remember a few. Uh, uh, they, they, they took they took some Sam and Dave stuff down there and played it, and 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 they they would call in saying, "Man, yeah, you know, uh, that, that, that's great," and they, and uh, that's where Al Bell came in, and it just it just uh, uh, in those days that was that was just unheard of. Yeah, you know? just make one record, bring it down to a radio station, they'd play it right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 1964, you finally joined the, the MGs. Louis uh, sort of gets. Uh, was that was it a weird moment when he was? Well, well it, 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 it was awkward for me, uh, but uh, over the period of years, we 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 went to a bunch of award shows together. Of course, you had to include Louis. Of course, he did Green Onions. You yeah, know? yeah. So so, but Louis and I became best friends. Hmm. And uh, 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 we went to the Grammys uh, when we got this Lifetime Achievement Award, and uh, Louis and I sat together, and he 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 just. He just, we just became best friends, and uh, uh, I guess you know. That's nice to hear. In, in, in those days, it was awkward because you know I, I, I didn't want to bump into him, and and because uh, I, I just got his job, I guess you'd say, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, let me remind folks: we're talking to Duck Dunn, bass player of the Stax House Band, and of course Booker T and the MGs. Yeah, you can't really argue with Green Onions, one of the best records ever made. Uh, yeah, that and Honky Tonk, I think they're the best two instrumentals ever made. Huh, very interesting. So you're you're now a part of the MGs and the, and the bass player. For stacks, you know, starting around '64 on, what was your day like? Was it just go to the studio in the morning and play all day, and 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 didn't know who was going to walk in the door? How did it work? Well, uh, that was that 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 was usually the local artists, uh, the William Bells and and uh, oh, the Astors and people like they call it Thomas and Rufus. You know, they were all local Memphis acts. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that's the way it started out. But uh, like I say, Al, I, I actually, my brother and I, my brother Bobby, uh, he was a salesman for, for King Records, all the uh, old Hank Ballard and James mm-hmm, Brown, mm-hmm. Uh, you know. And uh, Bobby was a salesman there, and, uh, well, he, he got promoted to salesman, and he was actually worked distributor. So he asked me to come in and, and, and do the distributing for it. So that was great for me. I'm sitting there listening to James Brown all day long. Hank <laughs> <laughs> Ballard the Midnighters and five, five Royals. Who's that, that, that? That's Steve's favorite guitar player. And anyway, I I, I had access to all that music. And uh, uh, but I'd, I'd sneak over and, and do do stacks. Uh, we call them demos for for fifteen dollars. And if they got released, uh, we, we'd get full session pay. You know, hmm. but that was the early days when before they started really becoming a national hit, hit you know Memphis at, at one point uh, Stax replaced Cotton as the number one industry in Memphis wow and uh, but anyway that was later on but Al and I I, I had a I had a club job at night and uh, I worked I worked uh, I worked with Wayne Wayne Jackson and we worked in a place called the Rebel Room and later on a place called uh, Hernando's Hideaway but uh, it was it was more of a rockabilly uh Back in those days, there, there, it was all white clubs, you know. Hmm. And 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 Al worked with Willie Mitchell. Al played drums with Willie Mitchell. Hmm. 
And so, but on my way home, uh, I, I got off at one o'clock, and Al played the three. But on the way home, I'd, I'd, I'd stop in, and I, I knew Al, and then uh, I, I, I just said, if I ever get to play with this guy, I, I said, him, I know he'll make me a better bass player. Huh. And, and it came true. I mean, so let's talk about each guy in that van, Booker T and the MGs. Uh, you know, the, when the four of you guys got together, I mean, every one of you guys brings something special to his or own instrument yet together it's even more it's like 25 percent plus 25 percent plus 25 percent plus 20 equals more than a hundred percent somehow you know uh tell me about booker t and he was so young he was still i think in high school uh you know during some of those sessions yeah well B booker can play anything he's uh, uh he, he went to he went to indiana university and uh and, and, and during high school his his instrument was trombone hmm. And then, but they, when they did, uh, there was a record called Cause I Love You, and uh, they needed a bar baritone sax player on, on, on and Booker played baritone saxophone. <laughs> and, 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 and when he, when he, when he wrote songs with William Bell and Eddie Floyd, I mean, that, that, that's him playing guitar. Mm. Hey, and, and one, one day he picked up my bass, and I said, don't you touch it. <laughs> right. <laughs> he, he, Booker's maestro. He's just, he's just wonderful. Yeah. And tell me, Steve Cropper, I mean, one of the things, I don't know if everybody realized, Steve Cropper co-wrote, you know, half of those songs that you guys uh, Yeah, well, Steve, Steve would, they, they, they would go to the Lorraine Motel, unfortunately, where Dr. King was, was shot. Where it's now a museum. Uh-huh, yeah. And uh, the, the, they would uh, the rent the rain. They had a they had a permanent rental room there. When when artists like Eddie Floyd or 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 Otis would come in, Steve they just go down there and write songs because that was privacy. They they had privacy there, hmm. and uh, they'd just get out and they'd, they'd go write for a day and then they'd bring the songs in. We'd record it, you know, record all day long. Hmm. Whether it was good or bad or otherwise, uh, was it strictly daytime recording at, at Stacks? Uh, mostly because Al and I, particularly, and Wayne, when we used horns, or sometimes they overdubbed. Hmm. But uh, uh, but in the early days, we we only had a one track machine, and uh, so we we all, we all had to leave at like eight o'clock because. Uh, of, of nighttime gigs, you know. Yeah, sure. And because we wasn't we wasn't on salary, and eventually, after about two years, uh, they've uh, they said, "Well, quit your night job." That's the first time anybody ever told me to quit my night job. <laughs> anyway, so they, they 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 put us on salary, and we and we we became. Well, that was just that was just Al and I, didn't, and it, it wasn't Wayne because they see they could always overdub the horns later on. Hmm. You know, so but Al and I, so we'd go in and we'd we'd cut we'd cut the rhythm tracks and 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 a lot of times the horn oh, oh um, more than a lot probably eighty five or ninety percent of the time they didn't overdub they 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 played live hmm. because we we mainly we tried to work from like ten to about five and just like bankers hours yeah stuff. that doesn't sound sound too bad uh, nineteen sixty five two guys that have been hanging around stack since almost the beginning Isaac Hayes and David Porter sort of it comes together for them uh, when when uh, Atlantic sends Sam and Dave down there to, to cut some sides and they started a run of great Sam and Dave records that all you guys play on it, it's really just you know amazing, Booker T and the MGs at their height great songs two great singers those must have been exciting sessions to play on oh they were there Sam and Dave 
uh, it just uh, we we always look for well we always had the local artists which we loved very much you know don't, don't get me wrong but but when when we when we got the when they, when we got the artists that Atlantic sent in there like like Sam and Dave and Pickett and 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 uh, uh, and Otis. Hmm. Uh, yeah, oh man, when Otis came, it, it, it just uh, Otis just made a better musician out of you. Yeah, just, uh, let's talk just, about. I mean, yeah. nobody has a bad word to say about Otis Redding and about his style in the studio. Just an incredibly musical head, and he would get everybody excited, right? Oh, uh, he when he came up with those horn lines, you know, the horns were used to playing whole notes and stops and this, but he'd come in there and he went, and the horns looked at each other and said, "Who is this guy?" He was just, just all, he just changed, he changed everybody's life. He made everybody, he made everybody smile, and he made everybody a better musician. And I understand that he would come in. Did he write songs in his head or did he write on an instrument? Yeah, well, he 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 played a guitar. Guitar, but he, he tuned it to an open chord. Uh, there's a word they use for that down south, and they call it, I think, vasapu. Vasapu. And, yeah, and uh, it, it, it's tuned to an open chord. And all, so all he had to do was just uh, uh, a bar of the fret, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it would come out a chord, you know, and like a like a like a uh, uh, if you want to, you just go to the uh, A fret and bar it, and you'd get an A. Huh, an A major chord. So, yeah. I, I, I did not know that. So he would come in. I, I hear with a sort of a, just one a, a, an idea for a song or just a line, and he just sort of got. Oh yeah, start chugging, you know. Yeah, well, and, and if it didn't work out that day, they would they they would take it, and and, and if it was a good idea, they, they he and Steve would take it, and then and turn it into something, you know. And and a lot a lot of it a lot of those songs when we when we played the um, what we call the fade out in, in those days, you know, records were two minutes and thirty seconds long at the longest, you know. Hmm. And uh, and sometimes two twenty five, but sometimes we'd play them for four minutes, but. What we'd do, we do, we we would change it. We, we, when we got to the, what we call the fade out, somebody might Booker, whether it was Booker, Steve, Al, or myself, uh, Al might change the drum lick, and and all of a sudden you got a new rhythm with a new song. Hmm. And 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 a lot of songs were written up from fade out lines that we ju- that we were just jamming on. You know? Interesting. So during the fade out, you'd come up with the next Booker T's and the MGs here. Exactly. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. That's very interesting. Uh, you talked about uh, Atlantic sending people down. They sent down Don Covey. You guys did Seesaw. A couple yeah. of things. Uh, Wilson Pickett. They sent down Midnight Hour. Uh, he was trying to cut records apparently in New York, and it just wasn't happening. Jerry Wexler bring, brings him down there, and there's Midnight Hour. Well, you know, uh, I read a story that uh, Wilson. Pickett was so happy he sent each of you guys a hundred dollars. Is that a true story? I don't remember. <laughs> Somebody got mine. <laughs> Tell me about Jerry Wexler. Uh, that, that that may be true, but I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, the, the story, the, the the good story about End of Midnight Hour was uh, Jerry Wexler was down there, and uh, we 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 had the song, and Pickett and Steve had written the song, but Jerry Wexler said there's a dance in New York called the Jerk. And if you listen to Midnight Hour, it it, it it's it, it, it it's got that delayed two and da 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 boom pop that boom and and Jerry was out in the middle of the studio doing the jerk, <laughs> and and so so Al kind of put a delayed uh, a backbeat to it, and 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 when he saw uh, Jerry doing the jerk, uh, so and that's that's where that kind of came from. 
Yeah, it's sort of very hard to describe uh, what is subtly different about that beat, but it is subtly different. Yeah. And Midnight Hour is the perfect example of it. What was Jerry Wexler like here? He is this guy from New York coming down to Stax to produce uh, the records. Was that, was that a problem, or was he just a sweetheart? Well, I, to me, he was a sweetheart. Uh, uh, he lived down here uh before he died, uh, I think he, 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 last year, and yeah. uh, I went to the memorial, and he, he was just uh, he, he was just a great, and he, he was sharp as a tack uh, until, uh, uh, until the day he died. I mm. mean, he remembered everything, and he just, uh, and, but uh, Jerry uh, Jerry had a secret too, and I think that secret was Tom Dowd. Mm. Tom Dowd, engineer and uh, musical genius himself. Yeah, exactly. And it, uh, uh, Tom Dowd said, did something one day. We were sitting there, and I've never seen done. He, 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 he they, they wanted to make a uh, uh, an edit and, and splice, splice tape. So he, he ran the tape backwards, and he punched it. Ran a little more backwards, punched it, took a razor blade and cut it out. <laughs> he did it. He did it going backwards. Mm. <laughs> so, now that. That's pretty good ear. <laughs> so, but he, he, you know, I, I finally figured out what he did. He was li- he was listening to the bass drum. Huh? Sure. And that's that, that's, a, that's how he edited. That's all you need. Uh, well, did you know when you're cutting a record like Midnight Hour that this thing is going to be a smash, and 50 years later people are still going to be listening to it? I mean, do you have any idea? Uh, to tell you the truth, uh, I, I, I figured in Midnight Hour would. I figured uh, I, I figured Respect would, and I figured uh, Can't Turn You Loose would. But the one my wife said she remembers most about, she said when when we brought home the record Soul Man, she said that's a hit. I brought, I brought home the I brought home a copy of Soul Man uh, and, and played it, and, and she said that's a hit. Yeah, uh, I was listening to that record. To me, it's your best bass work because during the uh, the verses, you're playing this sort of complicated syncopated line, and then during the choruses, you're playing one note. You know, yeah. for and it's such a great uh, you know, it just changes the whole thing. It's just a genius. I mean, how long uh, something like Soul Man? How long did it take to work it up? You know, from hearing was were things presented as a demo or did someone just work it out well, it? well uh, no I, I, Isaac, Isaac was really the genius behind Soul Man and uh, uh, Isaac Hayes uh, and he plays piano on the track right yeah he, yeah, yeah that's him playing piano and uh, he just uh, he, he he came up with a bass and doing the doing the doing the doing doing and in particular it's just it's, it's almost bull deadly you know that's that's <laughs> kind, of, kind of what it is but uh and then, but then you had that you had that moment where on the intro and in the middle. Uh, that's where that's where that's where you're talking about. It just goes to the whole tonic and go go to the next chord. And Steve and Steve does his guitar feels. Yeah. And Steve did that with a that that, that slide stuff that sounds like Steve's playing. It's, it's done with a Zippo uh, uh, cigarette lighter. A cigarette lighter. Oh, really? Yeah. The, the play it Steve part. Yeah. And yeah, uh, done with a. Cigarette I did not know. You talked about producing earlier. A lot of the early Stax records don't list a producer at all, and then some of them say produced by the Stax staff, which was this pool of guys of which you were a part of. Yeah. So that's, you, when, that, that, that's when they gave us a, 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 a part of the a part of the company, and uh, uh, we were all going to get one sixth of. Uh, I think ten percent or something like that, and uh, and and eventually it did it, it did work out with uh, uh, in, in royalties. It 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 
it it may it, it sure helped in the, it, it, well it helps in my life now. Oh, that's great. It's good to know that somebody followed up on that. Let me remind folks, it's Duck Dunn we're talking to today, bass player extraordinaire, and it's WFMU East Orange, WMFU Manhope, and WFMU dot org. Uh, I'm glad to know that, that you guys are still being taken care of. So often I talk to people who just say they never have been paid ever, you know. It's, it's, uh, the music business is tricky. Well, uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, they, uh, for, for the longest, we, we, were pay, we were paid artist fees of what we signed for in the 1960s. And uh, with the day sell of CDs and everything, the percentage has gone up so much. But uh, you, were, you were still getting your one cent or something? Yeah, we were, we were you know. <laughs> And, and uh, 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 it, it's good, but it's bad, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you talked about Al Bell. Uh, he was a, a DJ. He worked as a promo guy for Stax, and finally Jim Stewart brought him in as a vice president, and he sort of started the company changing to a road that sort of ended in the, the company's destruction. It went, it sort of blew up and then got too big for itself and sort of it, it exploded. Uh, but there were still lots more hits to come. Knock on Wood, of course, a giant hit. Uh, Carla Thomas's baby, like you said, Soul Man. 1967, uh, a lot of things happened in 67. You guys go to Europe, and I believe it changes your life. Is that right? Oh, yeah. yeah we just we had no idea we were, uh, uh, you know, Otis replaced Elvis as the number one singer over there. We uh, we, we just never knew that was going on. Uh, the, the MGs... So we, we were in the studio all the time. Right, right. You guys never backed up folks live, but for this trip, you you all went over, and it was sort of a review show. Everybody came out. There's some great DVD that just came out on that, and it's really excellent. It's just amazing to see. It, sound, it seems like... And you guys look like you're really focused and, and having a great time and, and just enjoying it. Uh, you guys never played out live because you were, you know, as... Because you were too busy in the studio, so was it? A, did it change things when you got home? Uh, uh, well, yeah. Uh, uh, we uh, we Booker and I, we we love the road, but but still, uh, Jim wanted us in the studio. I mean, he wanted to cut ahead a day, and then we just about at at one point there, we just about did. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, uh, I, I love to play for people, and it, it, it just it, it just we. Finally, got we we started touring with Credence. We did a little bit with Credence and uh, 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 started playing the weekends with Credence. And uh, we uh, Paul Simon called me, and I, I went to New York, and uh, uh, he wanted book ten MGs to do Bridge Over Troubled Water. Huh. And uh, actually, he and he wanted, uh, and, and and we couldn't get out of the studio, so. We was in, I was in New York City, and, and, and Leon Russell, El, Elton John was opening for Leon Russell, and I knew Leon from the uh, Joe Cocker days, and Leon, Leon had stayed in my house, and I, I knew Leon real well, so we we go down to Fillmore and Fillmore East, and uh, uh, Paul Simon asked Leon what he thought about it, and then Leon and Paul played him the song and Bridge Over Trouble, and Leon says, "You don't need me. That's great." <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, but uh, he did end up using Larry Nectar, which was which is a classic. We all know. Yeah. Uh, uh, 1967. You guys also play with Otis at the Monterey International Pop Festival, kind right. of a, a, at a left field, and the crowd again goes crazy. We had we had we had an afternoon rehearsal without amplifiers or anything in a hotel room. Huh. We were just trying to remember what we did from it. It had been a few months since we'd been over to Europe. Hmm. So Otis came out and uh, 
Of course, we did the respect, and, and that, that 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 version of "I've been loving you too long." And when he's, I don't know if you ever heard it. When he said, yeah. "Can you do that one more time, Al?" I was just, I was just all just off the top of the head. Yeah, it's it's amazing stuff. And later that year, of course, Otis dies in in plane crash, Madison, right, Wisconsin. Right. Uh, I can only imagine how. I mean, you, you talk about no one has a bad word to say about this guy. What was the reaction? How long did it take for? For people to start functioning again, at, uh, it, was, it was just—it was just incredible. Uh, 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 I, I was talking—I was talking to people, and I said, "I'm still dreaming about the guy." And, I, and the same thing after Al died. I, I had the same. I, I dreamed like. I dream like it was, I dream. I had the same, same dreams about Belushi, but I just just dreamed that he was still alive, and, and I couldn't get over it. And mm. it was just—he—he—he uh, he, he, he just Otis was just. He, he, he wore a halo, man. He changed my life. Hmm. Uh, you talk about Jim Stewart and his desire to sort of have hits cut. Was what? Did you feel that pressure on a day-to-day basis? Because you guys were cutting hit after hit after hit. Or was it just still always just go in and do our thing? Well, yeah, it, it, it was a little bit of both. Uh, but uh, uh, there, there were days that Jim would sit there with his hand on his chin, and you'd say, and we felt like in the studio. Uh, what was coming out of the, what was coming out of our hands and the musically uh, that he wasn't capturing on tape, and that's that's when that's when I think they decided to get uh, uh, they went and got Ronnie Capone, uh, an engineer for Stax, yeah. and uh, and Jim just kind of backed away from that, which was which was a great thing because Ronnie Ronnie was a drummer and he had, he had he had great ears, but he was a great engineer too. Interesting. Uh, th- there was so much going on with soul music in that time, sixty or the late sixties, Motown and the Muscle Shoals sound and the Curtis Mayfield and the Chicago sound, and just across town, Willie Mitchell started having lots and lots of. Hits. Did you guys listen to those, analyze those, compete with those, or or not? Well, Al was producing most of that stuff over at Willie Mitchell. Uh, he was, he, he was, you know, he was, Al Jackson he, drummed on those, uh, yeah, Al Green songs and all that. Yeah. 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 Incredible. Yeah. Incredible stuff. <laughs> yeah. Great records. Uh, 1968, uh, Isaac Hayes, you co-produced Precious Precious, that great track on him, uh, worked with the soul singers, Johnny Taylor, who's making love another giant, giant hit. Oh yeah. We, we forget about Johnny someday. He, 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 he seems to never get mentioned. I'm glad you brought him up. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's some great Johnny Taylor records and that guy could sing, you know, that's a spine tingling uh, kind of a performance there. And uh, Hang Em High, Booker T and the MGs. And 1968, of course, as you mentioned earlier, Martin Luther King assassinated uh, at the Lorraine Hotel. Did that change things? Of course, it, it, changed, it changed things. Uh, uh, they had to put guards on the gate there then. And uh, uh, I... Uh, well, you know, there's it's, it's, it's some parts of my life that I I, I don't like to get into because 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 it was uh, oh, it, uh, it was just it was just racially motivated and uh, 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 there was there was people that I, I guess that didn't uh, uh, didn't like me because of my color. And uh, it, it just got it. it, it, it the, the militants kind of got in there, and uh, it, 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 it wasn't it, it, it wasn't comfortable. Yeah, uh, it was a strange time for America, certainly, and you know things that had been bubbling boiled over eventually. Uh, and Memphis always, you know, sort of a segregated town, and uh, 
It's just a, a weird situation. There's, a, I don't know if you've ever read that book by Rob Bowman about stacks. It sort of goes into detail on all that. And one of the things that seems uh, almost ironic is that stacks was this tiny little uh, company where blacks and whites worked together, and slowly as it increased and sort of uh, people started noticing it, you couldn't help but noticing it because of the hits. And like you said, just stacks became the biggest business in Memphis, uh, and it sort of brought this attention that sort of ruined what uh, – what was there? Well, it, it, it was. It was. I think it was due to that a little, uh, somewhat. But uh, I think when we uh, I, when we started when we started trying trying to become a major uh, LP you know, in those days, long playing records, uh, and we started producing albums instead of forty. We always made a forty-five hit, and from the forty-five hit, we made an album. Hmm. We started making albums without trying to make forty-five hits. And I, I think that's probably that 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 was some of my problems with it. Uh, uh, it just seems like a, a hit album could stem from a hit single, you know. Not the not the other. Way. Yeah, well, there was one point where after you sort of lost your catalog, it's a long story. But Jim Stewart had signed this contract way back with Atlantic, and he didn't understand that uh, Atlantic would end up owning all of Stacks, all of that early. I think till '68, all of that Stacks. Uh, so all of a sudden, Stacks had no catalog, and uh, Al Bell had the idea to record. I think. 27 albums and release them all at once so you'd have an instant uh, sort of catalog yeah 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 uh, 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 i can't even think of the name of the company bought us now but i think uh, a gulf and western gulf first. And western, yeah exactly. and uh, uh yeah and I, I i think that was a big change uh things uh, things got really but heavy see, there but see we, we never knew the business end of what jim was doing uh, we, we all we did was go in and play, and uh, we didn't know what what the dealings were with Atlantic. We didn't know there were hard feelings even with Atlantic. So that's why that's why Jerry Wexler and I and and Tom Down, we we and, and all the musicians just remained best of friends with them. You know. Yeah. Uh, Time is tight by Booker and TMG's uh, big hit in '69. Uh, things started getting heavy. Isaac Hayes exploded, became a, as big a star as you could be. Uh, guys were found with bags of money in the airport. I mean, the whole thing. Stack sort of really just got strange. I think. Oh, it, yeah, it, it, it got just got strange, and uh, you know there was a lot of payola problems, and uh, uh, which I I don't know the, the details of, but uh, I know I know the accusations and whatever. Hmm. Uh, Steve Cropper left, Booker T left. Uh, you and Al Jackson stayed. Try to try to keep playing on sessions. Try to make. Uh, Booker T work. Uh, you, you played with uh, Bill Withers on the Just As I Am record. What a great record that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you also played a session with Elvis. He recorded at Stacks a few different days, and it's I, I tried real hard to, to figure out which tracks exactly you're on, but there's not a lot of great uh, great documentation. What was Elvis like? I think it's 1973. What was he like then? What were the sessions like? Uh, well, uh, the... Uh I went in, and I think I played on either two or three of them. I can't even tell you the name of them. I, I, I was just hoping I'd be, a, I'd be on a "Don't Be Cruel," <laughs> but that didn't, that didn't happen. That would be cool, but, yeah. Uh, but, but, but during the during the demos before he sang, they had a impersonator singing the demos to, to save his voice, you know. But, 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 but I talked to. Uh, the engineer that engineered it, uh, he was, uh, he, he. he Cooperated or, or co-engineered with with Ellis's engineer and producer, but uh, uh, 
they said that you know he 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 never he it wasn't like an Otis he he almost he he just you, you couldn't even hear him in the studio when he sang but he uh, he just sang so soft hmm. but it came out so strong. Hmm. It was amazing. Yeah, uh, well, I mean certainly a talented guy must have been exciting and a little bit of a letdown. Yeah, it was. It, it, it was for me because I, I, boy, I, you know, he, he just uh, don't be cruel. When I was growing up, was one of my favorite songs of all time, and uh, and I just, I said, oh man, maybe I won't, maybe I won't get to play on a Don't Be Cruel, but just to uh, get to play on a major hit by it would be would be incredible. Yeah, not, nothing better than hearing yourself on the radio. <laughs> Well, you must hear yourself every single day. I hear you on the radio every day. Uh, you, you played with Muddy Rodgers, uh, Rita Coolidge, Ronnie Hawkins, Freddie King, Herbie Mann, uh, Melon, Tim, Dwayne Allman, John Prine, Leon Russell, Rod Stewart, Joan Baez, Richie Havens, Chris Hillman, the Manhattan Transfer, Roy Buchanan, Lee Von Helm, Diana Ross, Billy Swan, Peter Frampton, Tom Petty, Bob Dylan, Stevie Nicks, Eric Clapton, Boz Gags, uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, uh, lots and lots of people over the years. One stop I, I want to mention is, well, you brought it up earlier, the Blues Brothers thing. When the phone rang, what was that, about 1976 or 77? Yeah, somewhere in that area. Uh, were you surprised? And uh, uh, well, uh, we would be, we had been playing with Levon Helm, and the horn players from the Saturday Night Live show were playing were playing with Levon, hmm. and so uh, Belushi and Ackroyd wanted to put the band together, and uh, uh, Belushi was. I found that come to find out later that he was a big fan of Stax and. So Tom Malone, the trombone player at uh, Saturday Night Live, he said, "Well, I I, I know Duck Dunn, Steve Cropper, and so uh, that's then one morning I got a call from John Belushi, and uh, I was in California and he was in New York, and I was about three in the morning. Uh, <laughs> I said, uh, I said, uh, I thought it was an old buddy of mine, Don Nix from the Marquis, you know. Mm. And I said, uh, don't be calling here. And I said, it's three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> <laughs> and so." Uh, I, uh, the story goes, I, I kind of hung up and I said, that, that, that's about BS. And, uh, and, uh, but he was like, he called back and he said, John Belushi. He wanted to know if I'd come to New York. That's fine. I said, uh, uh, well, I was scared to death because uh, uh, I was uh, that Schaefer and, and uh, Steve Jordan, uh, man, they just in, intimidated me. And my, and my wife said, you've got to do this. You, you, she said, you can do this. So she taught me to doing it. And so I, I went to New York, and, and it, it became great. It, it was, it, it was, I hadn't had that much fun. Since uh, since the '67 show, and 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 of course with Eric Clapton. Yeah, it's it's boy that that sure seemed like a lot of fun with John Belushi and, and that. Uh, I got to talk about Al Jackson getting uh, he got shot in his house, 1975. Greatest drummer, greatest R&B drummer ever, I think. Me uh, too. And it sort of, in the Rob Bowman book, it sort of says, you know, it seemed like the police didn't really investigate the whole thing too well. Uh, well, um, my, my brother-in-law was the captain on the police department at that time, and uh, I think they come to figure out that some guy that lived in, uh, he was a running back, I think for the Cleveland Browns. No, don't, uh, this is my this speculation, maybe, but uh, he, 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 the, he was killed in a bank robbery. In Seattle, Washington, and that's why they never figured that. that, that that's who the main suspect. Uh, okay, yeah, that's just such a sad, sad moment. Again, another sad moment. Uh, you, the, the, you, you played that great Bob Dylan tribute at Madison Square Garden, and ended up backing up Neil Young, sort of right after that. 
things never have stopped for you. It seems like you've been as busy as you've wanted to be all these years. Is that right? It's, it, it, it couldn't have been better. Yeah. And married to the same woman since uh, what year? Uh, we were married in 62. That's a long time. <laughs> and you've got a grandkid, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's, how, he's how, three how and a half. He's three and a half. Oh, that's great. And, uh, well, uh, my son, uh, Jeff, uh, uh, we, my wife and I, we, we, we lost my son at, at AP in a car wreck. Huh. And his name was Michael, your name. And, uh, but my son, uh, and, and, and uh, he said, Dad, I'm going to name my son Michael. And I said, uh, but I, I, got, I got a little superstitious. And I said, well, are you sure you want to do that? And he said, yeah, I will name him after my brother. So we, he named him after his brother. That's very sweet. That's nice. Yeah, being a grandfather's got to be the best, your best production of all. I'll bet. Oh, I see. I tell you what, he he jumps my arms. I'm sore for two days. <laughs> he big. <laughs> so what's next? What do you? What's what's the story? What, Booker well, T. Uh, do you still out there? Well, me, well, you know, Booker, Booker, Booker's done a solo record, and then I'm glad for him, and then he's he's out promoting it. And uh, but uh, according to our um, uh, agency, uh, hopefully in the fall we'll, we'll, we'll get back, and, and I think we're going back to Amsterdam. We was over there last year, and. They, it, it was really, it was really great for those people, and so I think we're going back over there for a week. Yeah, I see uh, you guys every. I've seen you guys a few times, and it's always a fantastic show. You know, always just great. You know, it's amazing to see. And Steve Potts seems to be just the right guy. That you're, oh, he's you're perfect. I've yeah. seen you with a few different drummers, and he's he seems to get it the best. Well, uh, you know, he's actually I think a nephew of Al Jackson. Al Jackson's nephew. Oh, all right. I so it's so. in the blood, perhaps. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, uh, Dr. Dunn, I, I do appreciate you spending time with us. It's just such a great story, and the music is so good. I've got I Can't Turn You Loose uh, queued up here by Otis Redding. Could, any, anything we need to know about this record? Oh, it's just, uh, just, just listen to Al and just how he pushes it. It, it, it just, it just, uh, it, I never, I never get over that record. And, and, and Otis's, Otis's voice on, singing on that beat the way he does. Yep, shake his mama. Uh, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dr. Dunn, thanks. Have a great day. I really appreciate it. All right, Michael.